Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. so much for your giving today. I want to dive right into the Word of God. Anybody excited about God's Word today? Man, I'm excited about His Word. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. Today's going to be a little bit different, uh, so I don't want it to knock you, uh, you know, off, you know, kilter or anything like that. But I want to talk to you about Consider Jesus. That's, that's my title today, Consider Jesus. Hit somebody close to you and tell them, Consider Jesus. Um, And I think it's important because it is Resurrection Sunday, and Jesus has, in fact, defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he's, he's risen with all power in his hand. And I think it's important that we consider him all year, but specifically today, to consider the sacrifice, to consider what Jesus has made available to you and I. What I want to do is kind of connect that to a big picture question. And that question is, what does it take to be right with God? It's a heavy question. What does it take to be right with God? If you ask that question um, to a lot of people in our culture, you're going to get a lot of different answers, a lot of, a lot of different answers on what it takes to be right with God. And part of the reason why you would get a lot of different answers is because we live in a spiritually pluralistic society. It's a very, in, in, inclusivity is a high value today where people believe things like all roads lead to God. They, they believe things like if you're sincere, then you're right with God. And a lot of people, they don't even think about God or eternal life until someone close to them dies or passes away. And then all of a sudden we want to give thought to it. And a lot of people, when that happens, the thought that they give to God and eternal life is they they have what I call a feel-good theology. Let me explain what I mean by that. A feel-good theology is when someone passes, we automatically, regardless of what they believed or not, we say things like, I'm just glad they're in a better place. Or I'm glad that they don't have to suffer anymore. And it may be true, they may be in heaven, they may be with God, but we got to come back to the question, what does it take to be right with God? It's a very important question that I think we need to be asking. And what's interesting to me is that in our world today, I've talked about this on a few different occasions, is that we don't live in a less spiritual world. We actually live in a more spiritual world than ever before. People don't have a, a problem having conversations about spirituality. People will talk about a higher being or a higher power or they'll talk about God in general terms and and it doesn't move anyone's meter. But it gets a little bit controversial when you mention one name and that name is the name of Jesus. That when the name of Jesus is mentioned, a lot of times it produces controversy and, and the controversy is not about the existence of Jesus. Most people do not debate his existence. It's not even a controversy about his teaching. A lot of people enjoy his teaching. It's hard to dislike Jesus who taught, help those that are are in poverty, um, accept those that society has rejected, 
to forgive people. We have no problems with that. But in a spiritually pluralistic society where people have all these different views of God, Jesus had something to say that was diametrically opposed to what a lot of people believe. And it's found in John chapter number 14, verse number six. Jesus said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in this very inclusive world of religious pluralism, Jesus makes an exclusive claim that he is the only way to the Father. And and I want you to pause for just a second because I'm, I'm not preaching a message on consider your neighbor or consider Christians because let's be honest, Christians can be flaky. Come on, don't point at them. Christians can be flaky. I'm not, I'm not asking you to consider Christians. I'm asking you today to consider Jesus. And when we consider Jesus, there's a lot of ways we could look at it. We could look at the ministry of Jesus. In Mark chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, it says, When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners. And I love this about Jesus because he did not come for those that have it all together. Jesus came for people like me who need help, who need grace, who need mercy. Jesus came for the very ones that religion rejected. That's who he came for. When when everyone else said they are not good enough, they are not clean enough, they are not righteous enough, they are not holy enough, Jesus said, that's who I came for. Jesus loves everyone that religion pushed to the side and turned away, and he didn't come for those who are perfect. Listen, if you're perfect, you just sit there and keep shining your halo, but for the rest of us, we're thankful that Jesus came and rescued us out of a dark place and showed us his kindness. Anybody thankful for the kindness of God, for the mercy of God? Not only did he come for sinners, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, you would be blown away by the miracles Jesus performed. Think about some of the things Jesus did. He healed sick people. He opened up blind eyes. He unstopped deaf ears. He cast the devils out of people. He raised dead people. And by the way, I need to go ahead and testify, he changed me. I'm not the person I used to be. I have been transformed. The Chad Dingus I used to be, the old man is dead and I am alive in Christ. Can anybody testify with me that Jesus has transformed your life? So we could talk about the miracles. We could talk about the ministry. But today I, wanna, I really want to focus in on three aspects of Jesus' journey to rescue you. Because there was a path that Jesus took. We're going to look at three different scenes today to illustrate what he has done for you. The first thing I want you to consider as you consider Jesus is I want you to consider the Garden of Gethsemane. I love the scene of the Garden of Gethsemane for a lot of different reasons. But the main reason that I love the Garden of Gethsemane scene is because it's actually the place 
that Jesus defeated Satan. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't have to go on to the cross to pay the penalty for sin, but without, there's no way for you and I to celebrate an empty tomb without the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed, not my will be done, but your will be done. And I find it interesting that it was in a garden that Adam lost the authority, but it was also in a garden that Jesus took back the authority. I I, I love that about Jesus is that what he did in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible tells us that he was under so much pressure because he had the weight of the world on his shoulders. And not only did he have the weight of the world on his shoulders, but how many of us understand that Jesus also had the weight of your sin and the weight of my sin on his shoulders when he was in that wine press called Gethsemane. It was the place of crushing. And and when the Bible says that his sweat became great drops of blood, it's an indicator that it is the first place that Jesus shed his blood. That's what was happening in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what Jesus was showing us in the Garden was that when we feel like we can't, when we feel like we don't have a desire to do what God has called us to do or to obey God, in that moment, Jesus said, not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus shed his blood in the Garden of Gethsemane to heal our desires, to give us a divine want to. No more of this, I've got to go to church or I've got to live to for God, but because of what he did at Gethsemane, I'm able to say, I get to serve God. I get to obey God. He changes the desires of my heart. That is the first place that he shed his blood. Come on, if you're going to give him a praise, don't patty cake today. Give him a real praise. In, in Luke, Luke 22, it says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup for me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The whole scene here at Gethsemane was Jesus giving you a divine want to. That's the cool thing about God. We do all of this striving to try to be better, to try to change ourselves. But because of what Jesus has done, he moves on the inside. And it's not about us striving to change. It's about Jesus changing us from the inside out and giving us a divine want to where he heals our desires. I think it's very important today that we consider Gethsemane. But secondly, I think it's extremely important today that we consider the crucifixion. The crucifixion was a very gruesome scene. The Bible tells us that about 600 soldiers began to beat Jesus and to torture him. There were several places that Jesus shed his blood as he was being crucified. The Bible says that they plucked his beard at the house of Caiaphas. There were 600 soldiers a part of this. And I believe that it's important that we understand that Jesus shed his blood at Caiaphas' house for the healing of our image. 
the image of Jesus, the scripture says, was physically marred. In other words, our spiritual image was messed up when Adam fell. Adam was created in the image of God and after the likeness of God. But when he fell, his image, his spiritual image was marred. He no longer saw himself the same way that God saw him. I think a lot of the sin that people get involved in is because they don't see the right thing when they look at themselves. When they look at themselves in the mirror, they see someone who has missed the mark. They see someone who has lost the image of God. They see what someone has said about them or what the enemy has been whispering to them. But they plucked his beard. Jesus' physical image was marred so that my image could be healed, so that my image could be restored. So that when I look in the mirror, I don't have to listen to my own thoughts. I don't have to listen to what the enemy has whispered. But I can listen and know that I am a child of God. I have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. And I don't have to hate myself because God paid, come on somebody, God paid a big, big price for me to know who I am. And the devil is working so hard at trying to beat you up. Why are you helping him out? His physical image. Some of us, because our image is messed up of who we are in Christ, we can't even receive a compliment. Someone will compliment us and we deflect it because our image is messed up. And I'm not talking about being prideful or egocentric or self-absorbed, but I am talking about I know who I am in Christ. I am a child of the King. Come on, somebody. Go ahead and give God praise right there. Our image can be healed. The Bible goes on to tell us that they placed stripes on Jesus' back at Pilate's place. If you're new to church, you need to know that by his stripes, we are healed. Healing has been provided. It's not, it's not something, we, we, we think that salvation and healing and, and you know, we kind of separate all this stuff, but you need to know that the same way Jesus has paid for your salvation, he has also paid for your healing. It is right and it is proper for you to be healed and to be whole in Jesus' name. Listen to me. I I know the doctor's report may not be positive and I know you may have battled with, with whatever it is you're going through for a long time, but they place those stripes on Jesus' back so that your physical body, your spiritual well-being, your mental capacity, it could all be healed. By his stripes, we are healed. Listen, we believe here at Bethesda Church that God still heals and that he is healing. He is a healer. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord that heals all of our disease and destruction. You don't have to be healed to be saved, but you don't have to be sick to be saved either. And even if you don't get it on this side, how many know when we step into eternity as a Christian, as a child of God, we're getting a brand new body either way. Healing is coming your direction. They also placed the crown of thorns on Jesus' head. That was for the healing of our mind. So many people in this culture and in this day in which we live, they struggle with mental things. It's, it's depression, it's um, suicidal thoughts, it's fear and anxiety. But I, I find it interesting that Jesus was crucified on Golgotha, the place of the skull. 
In other words, he wanted us to have victory in the area of our mind. The scripture says, let this mind that was in Christ be also in you. The Bible says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus shed his blood so that I could have peace of mind. They pierced his hands. That is the healing for my work. Some of us need to understand that what you do for a living, what you do to provide, the skill sets God has given you, God wants to bless everything you put your hands to. Everything you touch, God wants to bless. We see in the Old Testament how a broken covenant resulted in children who used their hands for violence. They used their hands to strike one another. But Jesus' hands were pierced so that my hands could be blessed. They pierced his feet. That is for the healing of our walk. The Bible says that he will deliver my eyes from tears and my feet from stumbling. That the blessed man walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. That God's word should be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Bible ultimately says that he will put all of our enemies under our feet. They pierced his feet so that God could heal my walk. And some of us need to understand today, if you'll get the proper perspective, you don't have to do warfare like this any longer. You can do warfare like this because the devil is already under your feet. They pierced, they pierced his side. And this one gets me a little bit choked up because it was the healing of our fellowship. This is about relationships. When God opened up in the, in the book of Genesis and he opened up the side of Adam, Adam said about Eve, he said, this is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. And God, we know in the new covenant, he looks at us and he says that you are bone of my bone and you are flesh of my flesh. We are in relationship with God because of what Jesus did for us. The same way God pulled Eve out of Adam's side, as, as, as Eve was Adam's bride, we are the bride of Christ, and God has now pulled the church, his bride, his people, out of Jesus' side. He was pierced in his side so that I could be in right, right relationship with God, but he was also pierced in his side so that I could be in right relationship with you. God wants to heal your relationships. Jesus took that punishment so that your relationships could be healed. And I want everyone to know today that all the places Jesus shed his blood, we look at that sometimes and we think it's great that Jesus did that, but everything he did, he did it for you. Every bit of it he did for you. So as we consider Jesus today, we're considering the garden, we're considering the crucifixion, but you guys know why we're here today. We also have to consider the resurrection. Anybody thankful for an empty tomb this morning? Now, let, let me ask, let me ask real quick. Why does the resurrection matter? It matters because Jesus was miraculously conceived. He was born of a virgin. He did not inherit the sin nature of an earthly father. He was completely without sin. 
so that he could die a death that we, you and I could not die and pay a penalty that you and I could not pay. On the cross, Jesus became sin for us. And he suffered horribly. And while creation was mocking him and spitting on him and hurling insults toward him, Jesus looked up to heaven and he cried out. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. What kind of grace is that? What kind of love is that that we see from the cross? Then Jesus cries out the victorious cry, it is finished. Into your hands, God, I commit my spirit. The Bible says that when this happened, that the earth went dark, the ground trembled. The Roman centurion, who was not a follower of Jesus at all, he saw the love of Jesus. He saw his mercy. He saw his grace. And he looked upon Jesus and said, I didn't believe, but now I do believe because this was not an ordinary man. Surely this is the Son of God. And just as Jesus predicted, he said, I will give my life and in three days I will take it back up. And the Bible says that when they arrived at the tomb to look, he was not there that the tomb was empty. And in Acts 3.15, Peter, cussing Peter, chopping people's ears off Peter, Peter said, he said, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And here, here's, here's the key. We are witnesses of this. We are witnesses of this. Peter said, we are witnesses of this, that the tomb is empty, that Jesus did get up. We saw him. And listen, that's why they were willing to die for Jesus. Because they were witnesses of one thing, and that is the resurrection. It wasn't just the miracles. It wasn't just the teaching. It wasn't just the healing. Because all of that would have been in vain had Jesus not gotten up on the third day. But thanks be unto God that on the third day, he validated every miracle, every healing, every teaching. Why? Because he defeated death, hell, and the grave. Somebody give God praise right there. Now here, here's what I love. Here's what I love. You can go ahead and stand. You go ahead and stand, but it won't make me quit any faster. Go ahead. You just need to know that. Go ahead and stand. Ten of the eleven remaining disciples. Remember, Judas took his life. So there were eleven left. Ten of them died the death of a martyr. The only one who remained living was John, who was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, and he died in his old age alone. My favorite, though, is probably Thomas. Come on, everybody say Thomas. Y'all know what we, you know how, we're mean to Thomas. I mean, the Bible doesn't call him Doubting Thomas, it just calls him Thomas, but we all call him what? Doubting Thomas. And we're really hard on Thomas, but he's a lot like you and I, in the sense that Thomas was walking with Christ, but when they crucified him and buried him, he, he had the mindset that said, I'm not going to believe, I'm not going to, you know, continue to walk this out unless I can see it with my own eyes, unless I can touch him and, and see him. Do you know what 
Thomas the doubter ended up doing because Jesus is pretty kind and he showed up and, and gave Thomas a glimpse that he had in fact uh, risen from the dead. Thomas the doubter ended up taking the gospel. He became the first evangelist to India. That's how much the doubter believed. That's how much he believed. When they said, Thomas, deny your faith and we'll let you live. But if you stand with Jesus, we're going to kill you. And Thomas said, I will never deny the faith of the one who died and rose again for me. I will stand by him for the rest of my life. And they drove a stake through Thomas. Why was he willing to do that? Because of one thing, the resurrection. The resurrection. They were eyewitnesses to a risen Christ. Not long after that, the church was born, 3,000 people got saved, and here we are, 2,000 years later, millions of people following Jesus. Thousands of churches gathered all around the world. Why? Because of one thing, and that is the resurrection. The resurrection is why they were willing to give their life for him. And, and listen, we're coming back to the question I began with. What does it take to be right with God? And it's made real simple in Romans chapter number three, verse 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith, not in ourselves, not in our works, not in what grandma prayed. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. And listen, the good news is it doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter how many times you've messed up. It doesn't matter how many people you've hurt. It doesn't matter how many times you got it wrong. You are made right with God, not because of your performance, but because of Jesus's performance. And that is the difference between religion and relationship. Religion says it's about what you do. God says it ain't about what you do. It's about what I already did. It's about my performance. And when we read the scripture, I don't know how you feel, but I'm thankful that Jesus performed extremely well on my behalf. And as I place my faith in him, my life is transformed. Somebody give God a praise if you're thankful that Jesus performed well on your behalf. I'm about done. If there is a God who claims to be the Son of God, and He says, I'm the only way to the Father, I'm the only way to heaven, and then He predicts His death, predicts His resurrection, and then dies, and then rises, I don't know about you, I'm going with that guy. Come on, son, I'm going with that guy. There is something different about Jesus. And that's why I'm asking you to consider Jesus today. He's the guy who came to show me what God looks like. I want you to take a moment to bow your heads and close your eyes. From the cross, because of what Jesus did, your striving is finished. My striving is finished. It's not about me being good enough for God to accept me. See, on the cross, Jesus was proving your worth. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Some of you struggle with self-image issues and worth issues and struggle with your value. And 
God's just sent me here this morning to remind you that he's already proven your value. He's already proven your worth and the fact that he laid down his life for you. Jesus did all the work for you. So many times we get caught up in religion, we get caught up in striving, and and that's why people say things. It's like, I don't know if I can serve the Lord. Yeah, there is a part of you must die. Like, you got to deny yourself and follow Jesus. But listen, who wouldn't want to follow someone who gave it all? Who doesn't want to follow him? He gave it all. And he would have done it had you been the only person alive. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to ask that question. What does it take to be right with God? The answer is simple, by placing your faith in the finished work of Jesus. And I want to speak to people in the room today that would say, Pastor, I know I'm not right with God. I know I need to place my faith in Him today. And maybe you're here and, and at one time you had that faith, but for whatever reason, you know things are not right now. And you're like, I want to make sure I'm right with God by putting my faith and my trust in Him. I want to know when I leave this auditorium today that me and God are in right relationship. I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but if that is you, if I'm speaking to you, as the Holy Spirit is, is drawing you and speaking to your heart and telling you this is for you, this is your moment. I don't want anybody to miss this moment. But if this is for you, you want to be right with God, on the count of three, I want you to shoot those hands up. I don't want you to leave them up. Leave them up high. One, two, three. Shoot those hands up. Shoot those hands up. I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Leave them up. Ten, eleven. Let me go over here. Anyone else? Come on. Twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Come on. Raise those hands high. Keep them up. Our compass directors are going to come and give you something. They're going to put something in your hand. Keep them up for just a minute. I want to be right with God. I want to put my faith in Him my trust in him praise God for this moment praise God for this opportunity our compass directors are are getting to you as quickly as they can come on keep that I see that hand right here on the second row God bless you I see that God sees that we may need some help with these compass directors I don't know if they can get to everybody quick enough come on just leave those hands up we're gonna we're gonna be patient because we want to help you take your next step Just leave those hands up long enough for someone to get to you. Even while we pray, leave that hand up if you raised it. I want everybody to to lift their voice, and I want us to pray out loud so we can hear it with our own ears. We're going to pray this together. Um, Let's pray together. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me for all of my sins. I repent of those sins, and I choose to follow you. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you give God God a big praise for life change that is happening in the room? Come on, you can do better than that. If that was your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your cousin, your auntie, come on, you'd be giving God a praise. 
Amen. We celebrate with you. We celebrate with you. Listen, if they didn't get to you, worship team, hold up. Hold up just a second. If they didn't get to you, um, go ahead and raise that hand up. They're going to get to you, I promise. I don't want you to miss this. Um, we want to make sure we connect with you and help you take your next step. I'm going to ask the prayer team, if you would, to go ahead and get in place. I want to make sure we're prepared to pray for people. And if we did not get to you and you made Jesus the Lord of your life today, you can meet one of our team members back in the back left of this room. We will meet you there. We will have a conversation with you. Uh, we will help you take your next step. And you can do that during this final song. We're going to open up the altars. We're going to worship God. And if you need prayer for anything at all, these altars are open. The worship team is going to come and take it away and as they come to take it away can you give Jesus the best praise you have on this resurrection Sunday come on church thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church we hope you'll stay connected by following us online you can find us on Facebook Twitter Instagram and our website BethesdaChurch.tv thank you for joining us and have a great day